Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. As business owners, there is a lot to learn daily. And one area that is often confusing is digital marketing. Fortunately, there are experts like today's guest who communicate in ways that make the topic accessible. Andrew Maffetone is the founder CEO of Blue Tusker, a marketing agency for e-commerce sellers, and he's the host of the Ecom Show podcast. We pick up our conversation with his curiosity about the customer journey. We then discuss omni-channel marketing and the challenges of marketing a business online and offline. Andrew also shares the lessons learned running his agency, the early days of learning marketing, promoting shows as a touring musician, and some positive ways marketers will use AI in the future. Finally, he gives some insight into what it takes to plan for marketing all year long. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 750. Well, Andrew, welcome to Getting Work to Work. Thank you for taking a moment out of the lead up to Black Friday to talk about digital marketing. I'm sure there's many lessons that we're gonna that are gonna come up in this time together, but just thank you for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, what are you endlessly curious about? What am I endlessly man, you come out swinging, don't you? Um, <laughs> what am I endlessly curious about? I, I guess obviously it pertains to to marketing, right? I would say that the thing that constantly keeps me curious of like trying to figure things out is for every single brand we work with, obviously, you know, the customer needs to be spoken to differently and aesthetics and you have your certain brand values, all that fun stuff, right? But the thing that I think separates some of the best digital marketers from the ones that are still learning the, the trade is learning what the customer journey is now mm. like because it's not as black and white as it once was right it's not like hey it's not like the heyday where you would like run a facebook ad they go to your website and they would buy and that would be it right, right? <laughs> like now it's like they go to they might see facebook then they might google you then they might go to your website then they might see if you're available on amazon if you are available they might buy you there so how do i get them back to your website so there's 500 ways that it's moving around and every brand is completely different because their customers are very different so i that when especially when we first start off with someone yeah. I get real curious about like, where are these people coming from? And like, how did they, so like getting Google analytics set up correctly and all that fun stuff is wildly key because <laughs> it's the only way to figure it out, but it makes it complicated because obviously GA4 is not connecting with like Amazon or Walmart. So it makes it mm. very complicated and it keeps me, I guess, to your point, like very curious to try to figure out how are they finding us and what's working and what's not. Yeah. My my mind is like blown a little bit here thinking about like the customer journey because I didn't put it in those words, but that's exactly what I've been thinking about. Thinking about like when you share something on social media, what is that journey back to you and buying from you? Yeah, it's it's nowhere near uh, as black and white as it once was. And honestly, like yeah. the, I never thought about it. I was like, okay, you know, I ran a <laughs> Facebook ad, the Facebook ad link goes to my website. That's the journey. It right. is what it is. It's a pay homepage or a landing page to the product page. <laughs> check out. We're done. Yeah. But then I was sitting down, uh, watching my wife do what she does best, which is shop. And so <laughs> she, she was, she was, I can't remember what she was shopping for, but she was looking for something on at the time she was looking for something on Amazon. 
came across the business and was going to buy it. And then she goes, I don't know. I've never heard of this brand. So she left mm. Amazon and looked and Googled them, yeah. clicked on their Google ad, went to Google to look at their website, but their website didn't have as many reviews as like for her that she wanted. So then she went to Facebook and Instagram, just do her due diligence on like, it was like a sweatshirt for like 30 bucks or something. It was like, all this extra work. And then what happened was she wasn't, she went back to the website because she saw a post on their social and then she got hit with a pop-up that gave her a small discount. So she bought it, but then she bought something different from them on Amazon because she wanted to get it in a certain, like a couple days. So she actually ended up purchasing from both places and I've watched her do the opposite. I've watched hmm. her. She is guilty for always getting hit with something on Instagram. So she'll get hit with something <laughs> on Instagram. She'll go to the website. And then if she wants to get it fast enough or she wants to see like, or she wants to learn more about the company, she'll go and see if they're available on Amazon, look at all the reviews, and then she might just buy there. So when I watched her do this, I was just like, okay, everything I've been doing is going straight out the window, <laughs> at least with her, because like you right. try to keep, you try to shove the customers into like this, you know, you, you, into like this funnel and, you know, just get them to purchase in one place, but you can't control them. And then right. since the iOS change, it's a nightmare to track them. So now it's just like, it's all like the wild west of people will buy wherever they want. And so you've got to make sure that you're in all the right places with the right messaging and available. And you know, your pricing is aligned. And like, so now mm -hmm. it's, that's kind of that cohesive branding and like omni-channel strategy is like a requirement now. Yeah. I I had no idea what omni-channel marketing was until I came across you. And I'm grateful for that because it's, the, as you're saying, it's the reality of what we, the world we live in now. Yeah. It's, uh, I didn't coin it, but I'll, I'll take credit for it. <laughs> um, omni-channel is like you, your traditional marketing omni-channel is very much like, you know, make sure your marketing is across all areas that you're available mm -hmm. online, offline, that kind of stuff. Omni-channel for us in a digital realm is really leveraging all of your different marketing strategies to benefit your business no matter where you're available. So like we'll work with brands all the time and we'll run ads or do an email campaign or something and send them straight to Amazon or send them mm -hmm. straight to Walmart. And now depending on who your listeners are, sometimes e-commerce sellers hear that and they go, you're insane. Why would you do that? Because Amazon's <laughs> keeping your data and your margins aren't as great and blah, blah, blah. But there's one thing that I realize with every really like massive business out there, right? Like you've Amazon and Walmart, mm -hmm. Google, like all these big companies, their main focus has always been from day one, give the customer the best experience possible and they will mm -hmm. keep coming back and they will keep working with you. And so my logic has been do the same. If they want to shop on Amazon, let them shop on Amazon. Yes, you want to try and encourage them to come back and you can use Amazon as a customer acquisition channel, which is what I usually prefer. But... Mm -hmm. You really want to, you know, give them the best experience possible. Let them, let them shop wherever they want. So now you've got all these extra buttons and stuff where you can just let people go straight from your website to Amazon or Walmart or eBay or Chewy or Wayfair or wherever they are. Um, <laughs> right. But it's it's all over the place. So that's uh, it's it's definitely it's a fun time. <laughs> oh, it's one thing as someone who is setting up an online store to sell you know, merch or, or products or whatever it is. I'm, I'm 
grateful for your perspective, though, as the person who is working with brands to implement all this, because you get a unique you get a unique point of view from the experience because you have to dive in and figure out how all of this stuff works. Yeah. And it, you know, one of my favorite things to say, um, which drives my team crazy when I say it, cause I say <laughs> it like every day, which is like every single for us, it's, you know, who we're working with, but every brand, every product, every category, every customer and every business owner are all wildly different. So if you take all those different attributes and multiply it by themselves and you have like countless, countless examples of situations where we could, let's say we specialized in apparel, right? We would still have wildly different marketing strategies for every single client. It doesn't like (laughs) the templated approach is stupid. It doesn't work. And really it's because like, you know, you might have a business owner that just, which I've got a few of them are like, they despise Amazon and they're afraid that Mm -hmm. if they even if they sell on Amazon, Amazon's just going to knock them off, which kudos to them for thinking their products like that. Awesome. But like, <laughs> exactly. then you get the other ones where they're just like, I just want to make sales, let them go wherever they want. Sure. Let's like, let's send them straight to Amazon. Then you have others where they're like, no, no, no. I want to focus on my Amazon business. And then my mm-hmm. website's secondary. Then you have the opposite. So like, it's, it's all completely different. And, you know, from an agency perspective, it's, it's always very interesting to figure out, okay, I I know this category, I know this brand, I know this brand's concept, I know this customer base, but this owner is so wildly different from everyone else Mm -hmm. I've worked with. So then you got to factor that in. So like, that's where it becomes like, how do we create a strategy that not only are we going to work, but that is within the parameters that the business owner wants to maintain. Wow. That's a huge challenge. It has to be. Yeah. It keeps my therapist employed. That's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious from the perspective of you, you know what works for an industry, but the owners are wildly different. And you probably have like a gut intuition about what's going to work based upon experience. And mm-hmm. And, and just seeing where things are at, like, how do you manage that difference between yourself and that intuition, the team intuition, and then the reality of the customer? That I, I, I'll let you know, (laughs) like, uh, as soon as I figure it out, like, uh, I've got an example. I can't, I can't do it specifically because we literally just had this problem not even two hours ago. <laughs> We've got a, a client I've worked with for four or five years at this point. And what we're doing with them is working. It's working really well. The strategy's in place. Obviously, we've been with them for a while. Love mm-hmm. working with them. They love working with us. Their cultures are relatively similar. So like our teams get along. And because like our, our whole, uh, our whole, basically our business strategy is we're like an extension of their team. So we're basically okay. like an outsourced marketing department to a certain extent. So like I've got six or seven people working on 20 different things, all communicating with their team at the same time. So like it can be a little much. And so been working with them. Things have been going great. They referred us to someone uh, like six months ago and arguably the exact same, it's the same industry, different product, right? So I'm targeting the exact same people. The, uh, the price point of the product is almost the exact same. Like it's almost, I was like, this was a layup. This is copy and paste, right? But the owner and their culture are very, very different. 
And so that's where it becomes as an agency owner, you know, you try to figure out, especially us, like we're not that big, right? Like there, there's uh, 15 of us on, I guess you say on staff since we're not uh, in-house anymore, we're all yeah. remote. And then we've got like 20 or 30 different contractors who work. It's like oh, a team wow. of like 40 or 50 some odd people. That's but at big. a certain point, <laughs> that's awesome. It, it's, a, it's a good size. I, yeah. I, I appreciate it. But then like, you know, you get some good size clients that you're like, oh yeah, we're going to start working. This is going to be a layup. We're excited to work mm-hmm. with you because we love them. And then you're worried about like, well, I don't want to lose the revenue, but at the same time, your culture is not lining up with our culture. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the other problem when we, that honestly, like when I started this, I didn't anticipate was, <laughs> you know, we were, your account strategists act as like basically fractional CMOs. And then everyone else is an extension of those departments that would typically be under that. And so, but we've got our own culture. And so what I didn't think about was, you know, obviously I want to make sure my team likes working with me, of course, and then our account strategists, because they're working with them all the time. But I didn't really factor in like we're so embedded in some of these companies that if mm. we don't have a cultural fit, I don't care how great our strategy <laughs> is. You're going to keep trying to push and pull and like don't you know, you're not happy with anything and no one wants to work for a, a boss like that. And so our clients are our bosses. And so at that mm-hmm. point, it's kind of like, OK, so now in our proposal stages, like, do I have to do like personality tests? Like, I, <laughs> that's, so, that's where I'm like trying to figure that out right now. Um, yeah. but that's, uh, that's definitely the fun part of, of trying to run an agency. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry that you have to go through that, but I love that a lot because (laughs) whether you're a a bigger team of 40 to 50 people or a solopreneur who's Mm -hmm. one person show culture is culture, no matter how big or or small an organization is. And I think we're all trying to figure out what is the right fit for, you know, us and other people. And I, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I I mean, it's one of the things that I realize is very um, hypocritical is not the word I want. Uh, Let me explain it. As someone, you know, gets people posting in these groups all the time. They're like, the agency model is dead. There's no good agencies out there. I don't work with agencies, blah, blah, blah. And I see posts like that. And, you know, you get people comment on them like, you're right. I don't work with anyone. You get one or two people like, I've got this one agency that's doing really well. I see posts like that and they drive me crazy. Of course, because like, you know, personally, they're taking a shot at the industry I'm in. So, okay, like Mm -hmm. that sucks. But the thing that drives me crazy is I can't, as an agency owner, go on there and say like, it could have been a you problem. Like when I meet someone and they're like, well, I've (laughs) gone through six agencies and no one can seem to help us. I go, I actually think probably four of them could have and you got in their way. Because it's a lot of issues of like their personality fits or like just these insane parameters that they try to put on you when they're just not reality. And so sometimes they hire you and they ha- they think you're an expert and they let you be the expert and you go through the motions. And then if you fail, it's your own problem. So that's that's a I love failing that way because that's when I go, OK, they didn't put any rules on us. What happened here? And, you know, we, yeah. then we all meet. We try to fix it. Then you've got others where like, OK this client didn't work out. We always schedule an internal like offboarding call of like, what could we have fixed here? And every mm-hmm. now and then it's literally like a, we need a personality test or something when we bring <laughs> these people on. Cause like sometimes it's just like, I can't, I can't work with this. <laughs> and so yeah. it's, you know, it's the pros and cons of the industry really. Yeah. It, it's interesting too. You mentioned, you know, 
them not getting out of your way. How have you learned to get out of the way of your team so that they can do the best work possible, knowing that sometimes (laughs) as the owner, you're going to have a little bit more say in the matter? Yeah. Uh, um, That's a good question. I'm (laughs) curious what my team's going to think after I answer this. Um, there's they're on next week, just so you know. Yeah, great. There's, okay. there's, I have my specialties and you know, of the areas that I had originally started off in. And so those team members are aware of that. And so it, it can, I'll probably get a little bit more involved on those things. Mm-hmm. But then I've got other areas like I am not a designer. I, even if I, I couldn't, I don't even understand how they make some of the stuff they do. Like, so our design team is, is the best I've ever worked with, which I know, obviously I'm going to say that, but I've worked with a lot over the years. Now they're really experienced. They've been doing it for a long time. So it makes sense. But like when they design stuff, I don't question it. I go, I know it looks great, but I assume that, you know, it's going to work because that's what really matters at the end of the day. And so they've got all these different heat map tools and stuff that they use and they just send it to me and I go, I'm, I'm sure this is awesome. And so we're just going to let it go. (laughs) Then you've got other times where it's like, you know, I I had a big paid ads background for a while. So like getting real deep into data and like nitpicking little things, like it drives them crazy. But I, I've, we now have basically like a safety word when they're like, (laughs) you're getting, you're getting too involved. And I go, okay, sorry. And I back off and I go, Hey, at a certain point, you know, there will implement new services or something like that. And I'll be really deep on it and like oversee the entire process. Mm -hmm. But then at a certain point, the only way that I can grow professionally and and the business itself is just letting them do it. And if it fails, we're going to learn a lesson from it and we're going to improve going forward. Like we're a hundred times better than we were two or three years ago from that same process. So as time goes on, things fail, it happens. You sit down, you figure out like what went wrong here? What could we have done different? And then that way you put it into process so that going forward, you don't do it again. Yeah. I love that. And I, and I love the, the awareness that I'm hearing from you. Uh, Cause it, again, it <laughs> speaks of reflection. It speaks of, you know, taking those hits and those knocks <laughs> of, oh, yeah. of experience. And, you know, I think, I think we need more of that reality check of people sharing those stories so that people who maybe are afraid to step into teams, they, they mm-hmm. hear stuff like that because that paints a more realistic and hopeful picture than, well, if they make a mistake, I'm just going to fire them and find the next person. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's, uh, it's one of those things of like, I really try to practice what I preach and, you know, we mm-hmm. get so upset with clients where they put, want to put these parameters on and we go, okay, we're going to try and make this work for you. And mm-hmm. then, you know, two weeks into the strategy, they're like, this isn't working. You guys suck. And then they want to get rid of us. And I go, okay. <laughs> and they, then they leave and we go, fine, let them go. And we sit down and we go, okay. I, I know I mentioned the personality test thing, but like, let's <laughs> discuss this. Like if someone, if we've got those parameters and you know, this is an actual situation, the one thing we do when we, when we do our internal like offboarding calls yeah, is, you know, we always make sure the only thing that we are not allowed to do is blame the client. We cannot blame wow. the person and the personality. I want facts. I want data. I want to know why this didn't work. And I want to make sure that either a, our sales team is aware, like, Hey, if someone's putting these parameters in place, 
it's not possible. So just let it go. Or B, we go, okay, it is possible, but expectations got to be met a little bit differently. Hmm. Um, so it's kind of like, it's a very similar thing of, you know, when we work with other clients and they're like, Hey, this really isn't working. Like as an agency, I hate, I, I was in house for years. I hated when agencies were like, just give it six more months. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> right. But I also didn't like just firing and hiring agencies because hiring for mm-hmm. anything is so expensive. Mm-hmm. So usually we're very big fans eternally, especially like I always tell my account strategists, if something isn't working, write a, call the client, write up an email, be the first one to notice it before they notice it. And then have a conversation with them about what to adjust. Nothing we have is templated. We can pr- we can pivot anything. If we're constantly tweaking and constantly aware of the things that are wrong, there's no reason for them to go to another agency because right. we're going to be here always tweaking and always adjusting it. And I've never in my life been like, just give it three years and it'll start working. <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. So it, it's about that that balance, really. Yeah. So you mentioned a background in paid ads and and really obsessing over data. Is that your entry level into the world of digital marketing or was there something before that that drove the desire to do this? I, uh, I actually started my career in e-commerce digital marketing a little over 15 years ago at this point. Okay. And so my, my father actually acquired... Um, a company that sold like car shocks and suspension and stuff like that. And they were just retail and they would just go to like distributors and car dealerships and they'd walk indoors and do that kind of stuff. And he was like, no, 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 I want to put this online. (laughs) So I actually started mostly on the email marketing side, but it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't really design heavy. It was a little bit more kind of like B2B e-commerce sales. So I got really obsessed over how could I improve my open rates and my reply rates at that time. Okay. Then as time went on, uh, I, I was actually, uh, throughout end of high school through pretty much the last couple of years in college, I was a touring musician and my job outside of, I was a, I was a drummer. So outside of the instrument, my job was the promotional side. And so I would help promote all of our concerts and all of our stuff online. And like, I was our social media guy. And so that was when Facebook like first came out. So I started as soon as they released ads, I was like, I'm going to figure this out. Let's do this. As soon (laughs) as, you know, we could boost posts, I figured out doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then it just became like trial by error and just constantly tweaking and adjusting and staying like up to date on like these new platforms and they're updating, you know, whatever they've got going on all the time. And obviously right now, everyone and their mother has AI. So we're trying to figure all that out. (laughs) Uh, So basically AI. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's a good point. Um, but yeah, so then, so then I started getting into paid ads. So the, the, um, when I was in the band halfway through our career there, uh, I ended up getting a lot of like concerts that wanted me to promote their stuff, even if we weren't in it. Oh, cool. And so I actually ran, uh, a promotional agency for, uh, venues in most of central Florida at the time, which is where I was. And then the music industry just was horrible. So I started, some of the venues kept paying me to do like events and stuff that they would have. But then I started like slowly getting into retail. And then I got back into e-commerce probably about 10 years ago now. And so I've basically stayed in e-commerce since then. Nice. I love that connection to being a touring musician though. Because I think there's, 
there's something about the skill set and drive to not only be a drummer, but to be a drummer in a band who's touring. I mean, that that I think those skills align well with running businesses. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's, uh, you know, especially an agency, because you think like, I'm the one who's got to show up two hours <laughs> early and set my stuff up, but I've got only so much time. And then I've got to do this at the same time and that at the same mm-hmm. time. And I'm helping promote the show. So I got to make sure everyone's getting paid out correctly. Then I got to break my set down because no one helps you do that. <laughs> and so like, I'm loading that stuff up while dealing with this. So it was also like the juggling of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then no one had any kind of marketing or, or promotional like experience. So I was like, I've got enough, so I'm going to give it a shot. And then it was just a matter of learning it. And that I always knew since I was a kid, I wanted to get into marketing. I originally wanted to get into like commercials and stuff. Okay. But yeah. I always thought like, okay, well, how do I like get my foot in the door in that industry? And back then starting doing something in digital marketing was so easy. And so I started doing some of that and then I've just stayed with it ever since. Yeah. Do you still drum? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I have my nice. kids sitting right next to me, actually. Oh, That's awesome. <laughs> I, I imagine it's a great way to blow off steam and to connect oh, yeah. with your own creativity. Yeah, it's uh, I, I still play. I don't play with anyone. I just play on my own. And I usually will play like to I used to do just like covers and uh, songs I'd like and I would play the drums mm-hmm. along with it. And then I got to a point where I was like, I want to add something to this. So I, I mm, really cool. like now I'll actually play to a lot of like, um, like DJ sets and oh, just try cool. to imagine like what songs are coming and just play for like two hours straight and just let it go. Nice. I like doing that. Cause that still allows me to be creative, to add in drums where really there's only like a bass and a snare and that's it. So I can yeah. layer on top of it. But yeah. That's my creative outlet for the most part. <laughs> I love that. Now there's something there too. Cause you're not the first person I've talked to lately that is a drummer, do it like that that is finding release in something completely different from your daily work. Like I talked to a scientist who's into jazz drumming. And and for him, it's just this That's it's a, a way to just find connection. It's a way to be creative. And and I think as many things that that we have in our businesses to fulfill us, we still have things outside that that can, I think, help us find things that we never knew we needed. Yeah, I I, I mean I completely agree. My, for me, drumming is an escape. Um, you know, mm. I can just think about the song and what I'm playing, mm-hmm. and it's a very like clearing of my mind, and there's yeah. nothing else going on. And then. Um, I'm a big fan of, you know, exercise and go to the gym or I'll run and stuff like that. And that tends to be where I've learned, like I get my best ideas. Like I'll be mm-hmm. sitting at a gym and then all of a sudden I'll have like a notepad of stuff that I'm thinking we should do and tweak at the agency. And to me, that's where I can escape from the business and still think about it, but not the anxieties of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to be able to like step back and, and look at it from kind of a, a higher level and just be able to step away. I think it's the, it's, it, it's something that everyone's got to have. I have mm-hmm. no desire to ever be like, nor do I think they actually exist. These guys that are like, I get up at 4am and <laughs> eat six eggs and then work out for two hours. And then I work until 2am and it's like, no, you don't shut up. Like there's no way. And if you do, you got to slow down. Like you should yeah. outsource some stuff, figure that out. It's like still 
living your life and benefiting from the work you're putting in is what actually will help you continue to work harder. But yeah. if you're constantly stressing and your anxieties and you're you know pushing so hard all the time, eventually like that's how you get burnt out. That's how you start like really voicing your burnout, especially as a business owner, like my team mm -hmm. will know and my clients will know. And so it's one of those like, okay, I've got to find a balance here or it's actually going to really hurt my business. Yeah. Thank you for being willing to share this level of, of just insight because it's just, it's needed to be heard by more people. So I'm just very grateful that, that you're willing to share that. Yeah. No, I think I, it's one of those things like, I don't know why, I think it's a social media thing. You get all those like mm -hmm. marketing and entrepreneur gurus that are like, I have eight Teslas. Be like, I don't even really like Tesla. Why do I care what you're talking about? <laughs> and then you get these other guys that are like, oh, I'm working, you know, 20 hour days. And you're like, no, you're not. Like, can yeah. we all just, can we all stop making everything a contest and just, you're your own. I'm, I'm wildly competitive against myself. I want to do better mm -hmm. than I did last week, last month, last year. But outside of that, like it's all just noise. And I think yeah. it's just, and it doesn't help. There's nothing constructive about it. I've never seen a guy, my favorite ones, cause they happen all the time. Is you'll see it's usually marketing guys. They'll rent out an empty warehouse. They'll park their Tesla at a slight angle and then they'll be in front of the Tesla and they'll just be like, here's how I do social ads. And you're just like, what are you doing? <laughs> Where are you? Why are you parked there? Why'd you park like that? Like, couldn't you put it in a spot? Yeah. Like there's a whole, like every time I go that I'm like, I can't deal with this anymore. So I've, I've pretty much like completely stepped away from, I post on social all the time, like content of like, but to me, all my content is here is how you do this. And if it doesn't mm -hmm. work, stop, stop doing it. <laughs> like, let's just facts. So you mentioned that you're only in competition with yourself and wanting to improve each week, each month, each year. Like, are there certain areas that you're tracking and measuring how you're performing? Or is it something like in the moment you kind of know to this week, I'm, I'm, I want to be better at X or Y. Um, I mean, I would definitely say it's stuff that we're tracking. Mm -hmm. I'm horrible at like celebrating the small wins. Like as soon as I hit a goal, I don't think about, oh, I hit that goal. I think about what's my next goal. Okay. And that's that's where I'm personally trying to figure that one out because that drives yeah. me crazy. Um, but like we are tracking it. You know, you have your ebbs, your ebbs and your flows. Sometimes you like blow stuff out of the water and you're like, wow, we did great with that. And then other times it's like, oh, that did not go well at all. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, you kind of take the wins and the losses. And it's one of those situations where like I don't practice it because I also don't really preach it, which is, I know you've got to celebrate the small wins, but I just don't do it. Yeah. And I'm just like, I got to figure that out. <laughs> Interesting. Well, earlier, Andrew, you mentioned the buzzword of 2023, which is AI. And I'm, Jeez. I'm curious, what are, what are some positive ways that it can play out in digital marketing? I mean, we hear a lot of the the negative stuff, but, but yeah. what what's got you interested in like, oh, that could be really cool. I am very confident that AI is not going to take over anyone's job. However, I'm also very confident that the best marketers over the next, like, let's say uh, three to six years are going to be the marketers that use AI and know mm -hmm. how to use it. 
Um, it's in just to your point, it's a massive buzzword right now. Every single platform has some kind of AI on it. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not AI because you allowed me to change a sentence. Like, okay, great. Technically it is, but like, let's ease up a little bit. And actually it's funny. I, I counted in October and I had four, I had four platforms launch and to announce that they're adding some kind of AI functionality. And I was like, no, you don't need this. Like, <laughs> I don't need you to like, like some of the social post stuff. It's like, do I really need you to tweak that one sentence for me? It's fine. Like the <laughs> sentence. And, it, and sometimes it's worse. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. We use it. I like it for uh, copy and research for the most mm. part. Um, it's a big, it's a big thing we use uh, for like blog articles and putting out content. However, I always caveat it because it's a big question we get with our clients too of like, oh, you're using AI. I've read it. It's horrible and blah, blah, Well, yeah. If, if you just hit a button and you go, yeah, you're going to pay me for that. Like, of course it's going to be horrible. Every time we use AI, I've got to still have a writer who's overseeing it because it mm-hmm. will use a couple different platforms where it'll only write like a few paragraphs at a time and then you edit it and then it'll do the rest for you kind of thing. So the writers still oversee it and then it goes to someone different. We have an editor who looks at it and checks it for accuracy and obviously like plagiarism and all that stuff. Right. That it it really has helped speed up like the research process and just the, I don't have, I don't have a problem with writers getting writer's block anymore. So like, that's what really helped. Oh, but to say that like, you don't need writers or editors is just ridiculous because like it's, it comes out very fluffy if you're doing it for SEO purposes, which is usually the case, it's missing like any kind of internal links or outbound links, or, you know, you've got to add in proper H tags and uh, bullet points and structure it so that it's legible and easy to read. And as opposed to this big bulky paragraph. So like, it's not, (laughs) is it possible it'll get there one day? Yeah. I do think that AI there'll be like AI search engines, but I don't think we'll lose traditional search engines for a long time. The random, you know, guy in middle America who thinks that his Google is, is connected to the government. Like that guy's not going to use AI anytime soon. And I still want him to buy stuff. So like, it's going to take a while for like those older generations to really like start to accept it. So Mm -hmm. I think from that perspective, marketers are going to be just fine for a while. But if you get ahead of the curve and you start using it, that's very different. Yeah. I am so grateful again for that very, uh, open-minded approach to it, but also realistic approach. Like I'm not going to, hi- I'm not going to fire my writers and editors just like you're, <laughs> if you use like mid journey or Dolly, you're not going to fire a graphic designer or illustrator because oh, yeah. you know, th- th- sometimes things are different for what you need. Yeah. I, I, in fact, our senior designer was the one who asked like we, if we can get mid journey and I was like, sure, let's do it. So we got mid journey and I was like, aren't you worried? This is going to like, like eventually take over your job. <laughs> no, have you seen this? And then he shows me, he goes, the pictures are hilarious. He goes, but they don't do anything. They don't look good mm-hmm. at all. They don't work well. And then like, this goes back to what I had mentioned before, right? Like no matter what information I get from my client on their personality and then their customer profile, their brand voice, their brand aesthetic, like all those different aspects of a business. If I throw all that into AI, whatever it's going to kick out, 
it's not going to work. It's yeah. not going to look good. There's nuances to every little thing. Every customer is so wildly different. So how's it going to be mm-hmm. able to factor that in? And like, there's stuff out there that can kind of create landing pages and kind of create emails, but they still require a lot of change. Mm-hmm. So it's still going to require, like, let's say the email one gets to a good spot, right? And it's like, okay, we can actually make email through AI. It's going to be the same concept as the SEO writers we have, where I still need a email designer and a copywriter to oversee the process and make the needed adjustments. Otherwise, it's just going to come out horrible. <laughs> exactly. So we are in that time of the year where we are inundated with the other buzzword of of the month, which is Black Friday. Mm. And I'm curious not about Black Friday, but I am curious about how it reveals just how much information there is out there vying for our attention. Yeah. As content creators or business owners or whatever industry you kind of want to look at, the the problem is the same. How do you get in front of the right people? From your perspective, what are some ways that people can start thinking differently about that and, and building up their content and getting in front of the right people? A similar theme to what I've been saying, you know, every brand is so different. There's some, there's a ton of sellers we work with where like Q4 has means nothing. It's just their sales are their sales. It's, you know, it's some of the B2B guys or like some of the products where like they have decent sales throughout the year. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Then you've even got others like, you know, swimsuit companies do really well in the spring and summer, but Q4, I don't care what sale you're doing, probably not going to go well. <laughs> right. Um, so I think the biggest mistake, and in fact, I just did, um, I'm part of the Forbes council thing. So oh, I just cool. did an article on almost this exact concept of like the, I'm in a bunch of different like e-commerce groups and they all post like, oh, I'm thinking about doing like our biggest sale this year, or I'm thinking mm-hmm. of doing like this X percent, but how do I, you know, get them to do this and that so that I don't lose my face on it? Like there's the riddling of just high discounts. That's what's going to get them is ridiculous mm-hmm. to me. I think that uh, so many sellers, a, they wait way too late to actually start planning. Like I've had, I was, I know you and I were chatting before the show started. Like I got, it's Wednesday, two <laughs> days before black Friday. And I had four emails this morning of people like, what should we do? Like, what do you mean? Like, I'm not, nothing <laughs> like, uh, so they wait way too late. Then they, they, so they focus so much on just the time period. They don't focus on, the actual asset that they're building during that mm. time, right? Oh, so yeah. in, I don't look at what's your revenue, right? It's a, it's to me, revenue is a vanity metric. Really what you want to, unless you're trying to exit and you have investors and it is what it is. But otherwise, like you want to focus on profit. But what you can also focus on, which is where I personally prefer to focus on, at least during this time of year, is net new customers. Who is mm. completely new that has never shopped with you before? Because that's going to grow your email list and you can focus on retaining them through the next year. So if you have a really good Q4, you should be able to have a really good following year for the foreseeable future, depending on the product line. Like obviously if there's if it's a one-time purchase, it kind of is what it is. Right. But like prior to, to Black Friday, I try to talk to people about Black Friday in August. And mm. everyone's like, what? I don't even know what I'm doing in September yet. And blah, blah, blah. Like, right. No, no, no. That's why 
That's why you hired us. Like to me, if you start focusing on top of funnel traffic in August, right? So mm-hmm. you've got basically what 90 days before ish, 90 days before Black Friday. You're in the traditional attribution window where people will still remember you and as opposed to like Facebook and stuff, you have like 180 days. That's that's too long. But you give me like a 90 day period, right? So I might remember a brand I saw three months ago. Hmm. Start getting as much top of funnel traffic as you possibly can. Get them to your website just to pixel them. If they don't purchase, they don't purchase. It's okay. Ease into it. Strong focus on SEO in like spring and summer so that come Q4, you're in a nicer spot really hone in on your retention marketing. So once they do purchase, like I said, they stay with you through the following year. But if you focus on your top of funnel traffic, when it comes time to finally do like your Black Friday sale, you now have a significantly larger warm audience to run ads to. I've already, like even two, three weeks ago, started seeing a ton of ads for like 20% off this product I have never heard of. But if I had like started seeing it, and like mm-hmm. a lot of interesting stuff about it. And now they start hitting me with it. I might actually pull the trigger on something like that. So if mm-hmm. you focus on pouring as much brand awareness as possible and then adjust and during this time, just focusing on the middle of funnel, you'd be in such a better spot because you can get them to convert a lot easier. You won't need to do a massive discount to try to, to try to, um, stand out from everyone else. You can take the top of funnel content you were doing before and leverage it in a very similar way for the sale so that they remember everything because every, you know, the aesthetics got to maintain the same. And then if you did a strong focus on your retention of what are you going to do with them after they purchase come January, February, March, et cetera, that's where you can set yourself up for a lot more success in the following year. So Mm. I always see black Friday, cyber Monday is a great time for customer acquisition not so much for like profit and revenue. Like, yeah, you should get it. It's a good time. Obviously it makes a lot of sense. A lot of my clients hate hearing me say stuff like that, but if you can retain more more new customers now, it's so much easier to sell to existing customers than it is to sell to new ones. So if you start the top of funnel, you finally get them to convert during this time of year, you're in a much better spot for the following year. I absolutely love that. And it reveals a fundamental piece of this all, the funnel. (laughs) Like if you don't have a funnel, where's a great place to start thinking about the funnel? Yeah. I mean, Black Friday kicks it off. Uh, It'll last another like three or four weeks ish. It usually dies like right at the right at Christmas. It's just Mm -hmm. flat and done. (laughs) And I see this as like, it's it's a little backwards, but I see like Black Friday is like the e-commerce Super Bowl, and then the rest of the time is the playoffs. So like that's obviously <laughs> flipped, but it is how it yeah. looks. But like this is a hundred percent the uh, oh, man. I don't know the correct the politically correct way to say this, but this is the time where you separate the men from the boys mm-hmm. and the women from the ladies. I guess like they like you you really start to. There's uh, so many people fail right after Q4. Because yeah. they they didn't really focus on top of funnel. They all of a sudden decide, like, I got to do a big sale to get a ton of revenue in. But then by the time they wrap up their numbers in, like, early January, they see that they gave away way too much margin and they got hurt. Because the other thing you got to factor in now outside of, like, okay, what's my margin? What no one seems to ever also factor in is CPMs and CPCs go up 
almost immediately on November 1st. And we saw it across almost every client. So yeah, your uh, conversion rate is going to go up a little bit and you're going to see you know more revenue and more profit, but your cost to get them to your website was much higher because you chose to not focus on top of funnel prior to. So now you're spending more to hit a cold audience when you could spend less to hit a warm audience that's already familiar with your brand. So that's where I always see like... January and February, that's where you start seeing people shut down. And it's because mm-hmm. they put in these ridiculous parameters for themselves and just <laughs> ate up all their profit. I appreciate how you come ac- how you communicate this topic too, because you make it very easy to understand. Like I, I feel <laughs> it's not like easy to do though. <laughs> no, but th- I think that goes to show how great you are at what you do because like I'm sitting here going, this makes complete sense. Whereas sometimes with digital marketers, you're like, you can sniff out the BS before they even open their mouth. And and I appreciate, <laughs> I just appreciate the expertise and communication style that you bring to this. Thanks. I've been trying, I've, been, I've learned the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew, as we wrap up our time together, what wisdom would you like to leave with the audience as they think about next year and beyond? Oh, what wisdom. So it's funny you ask that. So I've, I've been doing a handful of, of being a guest on podcasts and stuff recently. And I've, I've had the same theme for the past couple months. And I'm going to, I'm going to stick to it cause I still stand by it. My, uh, stepmom actually told me this like years ago. And as I've gotten older and as our business has grown, it's become very, very true. Cheap is expensive. Mm. It is one of my favorite sayings. And you know, it's, uh, actually I can give you a real life example of Two years ago, my wife and I went a little cheap on a washer and dryer, and you bet Black Friday I am learning that lesson the hard way that I now need to replace it with something not so cheap. And so because of that, had I spent the correct amount of money and gotten something good at the time, I wouldn't be spending it now. Yes, I had to bite off a little bit more than I might have wanted to chew at the time, but now I've got to buy it again. And so now it's doubled up basically what it was going to cost me. It is so wildly true <laughs> in e-commerce. It blows my mind. I get, we, we do, I, you know, I mentioned I do a lot with Omnichannel. So we do a lot with like Amazon sellers that are starting to diversify and they want to test the grounds. Like, great. Okay. There's a ton of ways we can do this. And usually I don't suggest going straight into a website. Uh, like let's ease into it and let's make sure that this is viable for you. And sometimes we're like, no, 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 let's just create a website. They go, okay, here's the quote for a website. And they go, whoa, I don't want to do that. How can I just get like a Shopify template and put it up and go, okay. First of all, Amazon doesn't like go like, oh, let's launch this new product. And then they just throw it up and hope it happens. There's a lot of detail into it. They put a lot of work into it. And then the problem that we always end up having is if you half-ass your website and then you want us to run ads to it and it doesn't convert, you start asking us like, oh, well, why isn't this converting? You guys Mm -hmm. don't know what you're doing. They're like, no, it's because you, your, your website is your brand's home, right? And it, it is where everyone's going to learn a lot about you because you have complete control. You can do whatever you want on your website. You can say whatever you want. You can show whatever you want. And to go cheap on that makes it look like your brand is just cheap and you're not trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of it even being you're competing with yourself on other platforms that are taking your margin. So if you're not providing a better experience than they can get on Amazon, 
you're not going to beat out yourself on Amazon or your competitors. So going really cheap just doesn't work. It ends up costing you more money. And it's the exact same thing with ads, right? So I always, you know, they will work with someone who's like, oh, what should our budget be? You know, if we're just now trying to get off Amazon, I always tell them like, really, you don't want to spend less than like three to 5,000 a month per platform. And I go, if I'm going to run like a few campaigns, not a lot, just a couple, I need to have enough data for, let's say, Facebook or Google to bring in more data to learn. Facebook teaches itself. Google, I need more data to be able to adjust keywords and things like that. And they go, oh, well, can we start with less? And I go, well, you've got two options here, right? You can start with less and then you can just pay my retainer for like six months while we wait for enough data to come in. Or you can leave my retainer as is and we could wrap this up in like two or three months and know exactly what's working and what's not. I go, so would you rather give me the money or would you rather pay for the, your data? It's your data. You have it. You keep it. And so that's one of the things too, like that I always see from an agency owner is that if you put them first, put same concept of the mm-hmm. website, right? It's like putting your yeah. client first and their business first they usually appreciate a lot more. So I'm a big fan of no, no, no. Increase your budget now so that you don't have to pay me for too long. Because if this mm-hmm. doesn't work out, we'll know in a much shorter period of time than if you were to blow cash for six months while we're right. waiting to figure out what's working and what's not. <laughs> what so a fantastic lesson. Oh, what a fantastic lesson for us all. <laughs> Thank you. It's so it's every time, man. Like it's a me. That doesn't mean like go spend a million dollars on everything. It just means like get something good and do it right the first time or don't do it. Yeah. Well, final question for you, Andrew, is there a book podcast resource blowing your mind right now? I'm reading a book right now on just literally on literal like agency stuff. And it's a very, very good book. And I can't remember the title. So not that one. Um, (laughs) Uh, marketing school with uh, Eric Sue and Neil Patel, that podcast. I love like quick, like here's a 10, 15 minute podcast that, mm-hmm. you know, is going to give you an actionable thing to do. Um, you know, oh, I want to go test this. I want to go test that. Or, you know, great story podcasts are another way to like learn a lesson. But otherwise, like I'm a big fan of those, especially during like the workday. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan of, of marketing school. If there was a phrase that stood out in this conversation, it was one that he shared toward the end of cheap is expensive. And I have to be honest with you, I'm guilty of this when it comes to my own website and promotional materials. And so the challenge for me in the new year is how can I spend more money strategically on those areas of my business in order to get better end results? And chances are, if you're a creative professional like me, you might not be spending enough money on the things that matter as well. So I challenge you, figure out a way to level up your experience with your website, with the things that maybe you're skimping on. And uh, let's see how we do next year, all right? Until next year, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.